According to the World Economic Forum, industry is responsible for 30% of global carbon emissions and industrial clusters will be a critical player in accelerating the path towards net zero. To talk more about the role of industrial clusters in fostering sector integration and decarbonisation, I'm joined by Kate Willard, Chair of the Thames Estuary Growth Board. I'm Pamela Larg, and this is the Energy Transitions Podcast. Kate, thank you so much for joining us today. It's a pleasure to have you in the studio. In order to really understand more about today's topic, can you explain what an industrial cluster actually is? and why the concept is becoming more important for our net zero future. Absolutely, and it's an absolute joy to be with you guys. Um, so a cluster is, it kind of is what it says on the tin, isn't it? I think the concept was actually invented in the UK in the 50s, but it's deployed all over the world. And I think our general understanding is that, as I say, it is what it, it is on the tin. It's a kind of a grouping of like businesses and or industries who have come together often for a specific reason or for a specific purpose to help drive their own growth and therefore economic growth. Um, We've got in the UK six official industrial clusters. And whilst the estuary isn't an official industry cluster, we've got actually the highest CO2 emissions of any area in the UK, which is delivered from our transport and logistics. So we are a kind of emerging formal industrial cluster and certainly an informal industrial cluster. And I think the UK government's award, if you like, of a sort of official designation in part is is useful. But if you're an industrial cluster, you are an industrial cluster. It kind of, it is what it says. We've been working really closely with government to show the benefits of collaboration. And we think there are serious benefits of collaboration through clustering. And in particular for us as a growth board, how that clustering can help accelerate innovation and accelerate growth. Thank you for explaining that to us and to our listeners, Kate. It certainly is quite interesting to see how these industrial clusters are really coming together and driving these net zero ambitions. What advantages do you think these clusters have in terms of circularity, electrification and decarbonisation specifically? Yeah, really good question. Obviously, there are advantages, otherwise these clusters simply wouldn't exist. So I think in the first one, in the cluster kind of context, one person's waste, for example, sort of CO2 could be another company's gold. For example, we're working on a number of projects in the estuary that typify this type of benefit. One example of that would be the creation of a blue hydrogen and CO2 cluster at the Isle of Grain, which is enabling the sharing of infrastructure associated with capture and distribution of CO2 to reduce costs and attract other businesses that can benefit from being part of this kind of value chain. So I think linking that kind of output and benefit for businesses is a really important opportunity in terms of advantages. But I think also there's something around the acceleration of innovation. So if you look at another kind of clustering, And the one I'm going to refer to here in particular is around the creative industries and when that was really emerging as a growth sector in the 80s and early 90s, that that as an emerging and nascent industry really grew through clustering. And that wasn't just a UK phenomenon, it was happening across UK, but some of these brilliant businesses, a lot of them looking at digital platforms, digital creation, content, 
were working together, small businesses working together, sharing innovation, sharing ideas and growing. And that kind of clustering, or at that time there was a phrase used, uh, cultural quarter, was a really important part of the growth of that sector. And if you directly relate that to hydrogen, for example, we think there's real opportunity here for in the clustering, for example, of a hydrogen sector for emerging businesses, emerging producers and emerging kind of technology innovation in relation to hydrogen will be accelerated if those new businesses can cluster. So we're also in the estuary looking at something we're calling a living lab for hydrogen, which will enable businesses to come together. We will also bring investors to the table to help grow that industry. So for me, there's a sort of opportunity, you know, like I said, one person's waste is another person's gold, but also there's the real opportunity to share innovation and to accelerate innovation and to deliver growth more quickly. So I think a really interesting set of advantages from that clustering. I think the other thing, again, which is sort of particularly pertinent to the hydrogen agenda, again, just to go back to that for a second, is it's critical to match supply and demand. And if you don't have a cluster, it's impossible for the producers of hydrogen to understand the demand and indeed to be close enough to it. But also you don't get those businesses working collectively together to align long-term strategies to understand what supply and demand kind of limits are and aspirations are. And again, that won't happen without that sense of clustering. So I think we're a big fan of clusters. We can really see the benefit. But I think more broadly speaking, the, the notion of clusters internationally is also very important. So we just launched a really big piece of work around global estuaries and local diplomacy, looking to link with, in our instance, particularly other estuarine cities and other river cities in the world, to look at how the clustering of those cities on an international, on a global stage, particularly potentially in relation to hydrogen, energy debate, but and others as well, including investment and trade, can really help us deliver on the good green growth agenda. So clustering slash collaboration is really important driver for the growth board here in the Thames Estuary. It's absolutely fascinating that there is this drive for collaboration and partnership. And it's almost a kind of symbiotic relationship that takes place within these clusters. Kate, in your opinion, do you think that there is perhaps some reticence on the part of some of the industrial players in terms of becoming a part of a cluster? Or is there perhaps a lack of understanding on the benefits of these clusters? Yeah, really, another really good question. I think we have to acknowledge we're a private sector-led growth board, so we are informed by great business people from around the world, indeed, on the Thames Estuary Growth Board. I think we have to recognise that there are issues of sensitivity, commercial sensitivity, of competition, which means that we do not expect in a cluster for all businesses to be completely open book. That's not, that's not normal, that's not natural, that, that wouldn't happen. But I think you can have clusters working together where you can acknowledge that the similar ground and you can also find the individual place that works for those businesses or regions. I'm going to give you a very specific example. In the UK, there's a lot of hydrogen work. Again, we're back with hydrogen, aren't we? There's a lot of hydrogen work happening in the Thames Estuary. There's a lot of hydrogen activity happening in Teesside in the Tees Valley, led by the mayor there, Ben Houcham. Now, you could imagine, couldn't you, that therefore, in terms of relationship with government support for hydrogen, we could potentially be in competition with Teesside. We could be, couldn't we? Because we're both wanting to deliver very large scale aspirations with regard to hydrogen. 
But on the contrary, Teesside's interest in the hydrogen agenda is absolutely about the decarbonisation of industry. Our interest in hydrogen is absolutely about transport. So therefore, we can collaborate on the hydrogen agenda, having our own specialisms in there, meaning that we're not competing with government. So I think it's about understanding, and at a much more granular level, understanding the requirements and needs from individual businesses and sometimes from individual operators and the mavericks and entrepreneurs in some of these sectors and making sure that people feel that, which is the only reason we get involved in things, isn't it, that the benefits outweigh the potential risk or potential downside, particularly if you're a business or a region or a city that hasn't had a history or a culture of collaborating. And that's something that's quite new to you. I think we need to be able to provide reassurance that clustering in instance X is of benefit. And we also recognise that clustering isn't the sort of you know panacea to all ills. It's not going to solve everything. But we do believe that there is something about, certainly with hydrogen, putting supply and demand together. And we do think that there is something about that kind of mutual support and encouraging and accelerating innovation, which can really come from clustering activity. Are there any other specific barriers that you feel we should highlight in this conversation that are really preventing effective clustering? I'm not sure if I'd call them barriers. I think that there are sometimes questions that people maybe don't ask, particularly if they're an industry that's not used to collaborating. For example, I think you need to ask yourself a whole raft of questions as you sort of start to think about whether it's appropriate for your business, your region, your city to become a collaborator in a cluster. And those questions aren't simply as binary as what am I being expected to put in and what am I expected to get out of it, but really standing back and thinking about your own vision, your own end game, how that kind of might match. I mean, again, you know, clustering, if you think about clustering on the international scale, it's not as binary as, well, we work with that city because they do the same as us. There might be lots of considerations in there, which might be around geography, they might be around economic performance, they might be around issues around diversity and inclusivity. There could be all sorts of questions that your business or your region might think are important for them when they think about clustering activity and working collaboratively. So I just think if it's something that businesses haven't done before, it's probably a good opportunity to have some marker pens and a whiteboard and start to think about what might be helpful, what might, and indeed what some of the risks might be, so that those can be mitigated as well. But I think as a sort of starting point, my advice would be to think as openly as is possible to think about those broader potential benefits. Kate, earlier you spoke about the various regions and the regional clusters within the UK and also internationally beyond the borders of the UK in terms of a standardised approach to clustering. Are we moving closer to a standardised approach in your opinion? Uh, No, (laughs) but but having said that, I don't know actually if that's necessarily unhelpful. There's lots of us, many colleagues in Europe will have been familiar with and still are familiar with the workings of kind of how the European Union approached inter-regional and pan-regional collaboration. In the UK now, we have this global diplomacy work going on, which is effectively the same thing. It's inter-regional collaboration and interstate collaboration. So I think there's lots of ways that it's happening in different parts of the world, and it's called slightly different things, and it may be sometimes it's driven a little bit more top down. So for example, in the UK, there's a lot being driven by government at the moment. In some instances, it's being driven very bottom up. And to be fair, again, in the UK, going back to hydrogen again, um, I think it'd be fair to say that government is sort of driving some of the 
broader hydrogen strategy, but actually in the creation of the national hydrogen economy and the hydrogen ecosystem, I think that's much more being driven bottom up. So I'm less concerned about a uniform approach to collaboration and uh, clustering. I'm kind of more up for making sure that where collaboration and clustering is being considered, that the broadest kind of bank of opportunities is being thought of right up front to make sure that you're getting the most out of that opportunity. That makes perfect sense. And I think it's a nice segue into my next question, which is really about how do you engage with stakeholders to get them on board for this kind of clustering? And, you know, you've mentioned about emphasizing the advantages and perhaps it is that more of a tailored approach than a standardized approach that makes it actually more attractive. Would you agree? Yeah, 100%. I also think we're, so at the Thames Estuary Growth Board, we like to think that we're one, really easy to speak to. There's one phone number. You can ring Kate about anything. Uh, and two, that we're nice people to work with. So that sounds like a kind of slightly oversimplified example. But what I'm suggesting now, I think, is that people want to have normal conversations with normal people who understand, you know, their business and the kind of the world of work out there. And it's kind of very straightforward and normal. So we don't use fancy language. We don't use fancy platforms. We, interestingly, on the estuary, we're the UK's newest growth zone in the UK. It's of scale. We're sort of from the city of London right out across that Thames estuary area, an extraordinary area, an extraordinary opportunity. And I think what we've managed to do there is to bring together the critical mass of opportunity for clustering to understand what's on our patch. We've got about a thousand square miles there. So understanding what's on that patch to be able to articulate it clearly and simply to investors, to partners, to people who want to collaborate with us. And then to have, as I say, a sort of single point of call. There's no point me saying to an investor or another city, you know, it might be colleagues in you know, Berlin or Paris who are sort of interested in the hydrogen agenda. There's no point me publishing 57 phone numbers for different people who are doing bits on hydrogen vaguely in the Thames estuary. And they can just give me a buzz and I'll put them in touch with the right people. So I think making it super simple, not because people are stupid, but people are busy and people want they want to have a conversation, they want it to be super clear, super easy, super easy to engage with. And for me, that's what I'm most excited about coming to Enlit Europe about, which is actually being able to talk about the Thames estuary. And you can tell from the way I talk about it, I think it's the most extraordinary part of Europe at the moment, but I would say that, wouldn't I? But being able to talk about the Thames estuary, show people the critical mass, the scale, the international reach, the innovation, and the fact that we're really nice people to do business with. And I think keeping it simple, being open to collaboration and clustering, and like I say, just being nice people to work with. I think that's the way to speak to potential stakeholders, to potential partners, and to have the best chance of making something work. Well said. Kate, before we talk a little bit more about Enlit, you did mention hydrogen once or twice in our conversation. Would you say that that's a core focus right now for Thames Estuary and I would assume for the UK at large? Yeah, it absolutely is. We've got an amazing team working on hydrogen, some of whom will be with me at Enlit, which will be fantastic. I mean, really top class team. I think for us, as I mentioned, it's all about transport and logistics. We've got lots of great big chunky trucks on the road here, lots of big construction projects. So our focus on hydrogen is absolutely about those big, big vehicles and making sure that we've got a sort of fueling and a production infrastructure to support the transition to hydrogen. But obviously as well, we've got the river. And for us, 
that kind of transport question is not just about the greening of a logistics fleet, it's also about modal shift. But again, there's no point in us lifting stuff off a dirty truck to put it on a dirty vessel. So again, it's about hydrogen on maritime vessels as well, looking at how we can make sure that there's a sensible place for that too. So we've published a hydrogen ecosystem for the Thames Estuary. And again, we'll be either me or one of my colleagues will be talking more about that at Enid. And we're particularly on that agenda, particularly interested in working with other estuarine cities who are also looking at hydrogen, because we think there's a really interesting symbiotic relationship between sort of modal shift, waterborne freight and passengers, and hydrogen at its core. So again, we'll be talking more about that at Enlit, but super, super interested to listen and hear and meet with other estuarine cities in the world who are looking at that and working through that, where there might be interesting conversations just to have about international clustering, sharing innovation, and speeding up that good green growth. Kate, your passion is absolutely contagious, and I believe that our listeners could perhaps want to learn more if they were attending Inlet. What are you going to be talking about at Inlet Europe? Okay, so my colleague Helena Anderson from Ikigai is going to be there. Helena's absolutely amazing. She's sort of one of the, well, I think she's the most genius person in the world when it comes to hydrogen, but obviously time will slightly tell, but she's fabulous. So if you want to learn more about the hydrogen piece, then make sure that you follow Helena Anderson at Ikigai because she'll be amazing. I'm going to be talking much more generally about the opportunities in relation to good green growth, potentially how that relates to energy and some of those issues around net zero. But also, again, talking, I think, a little bit more about our approach to international collaboration and clustering, because I think if we are investing as we are to come out to Enlit and and spend time there, we want to make sure that we're really contributing to the debate there and the discussion there. And as I say, there is a place for people like my colleague Helena, who are really absolutely into the granular detail of some of these technologies and some of these extraordinary opportunities. But for me, it's also about that slightly broader, more strategic thinking around how are we making international collaboration work? What does, you know, I've thought for ages that I should be speaking to Rotterdam. I've just got this funny feeling I should speak to Rotterdam. What does that look like? You know, Rotterdam, if you, by the way, if you're at Enlit, do come and find me, won't you? Um, But thinking about, you know, some of those other great estuarine and port cities, you know, I'm really up for being at Enlit and making sure that everybody knows that The Thames Estuary is so open for business and so open for having those great collaborations, those great conversations. So as I say, I'm super, super up for being at Enlit. But if anybody's listening to this in advance of Enlit and you're up for having a chat about the Thames Estuary and how we might do stuff together, then like I said at the top of this call, just give me a buzz. Kate, that is absolutely brilliant. To conclude, Kate, thank you so much for joining us. I realise we are out of time. To our listeners, if you want to meet Kate at Inlet, please do reach out. I'm going to include more details below. Kate, thank you so much for your time. And thank you to our listeners for joining us. Until next time. Thank you for listening to this Energy Transitions podcast, brought to you by Inlet and Friends. Visit inlet.world for more episodes. See you next time.